All right, guys, what is going on today? I have a very special guest for you. I hope that you guys uh, enjoy this one. Uh, Andrea has been just an amazing addition to our community. And, you know, I, I talk about this a little bit in the podcast, but it really does blow me away how quickly he's able to build relationships in the gym and how seamlessly he's able to make people smile make them feel warm and welcome and it really is a gift you know i think that that's something that you you're going to feel comes across a little bit in this he has a zest for life that is intoxicating to be around it's something that you know i thoroughly enjoy so getting able to spend this hour and a half with him uh, and just kind of have a discussion was a pleasure and time flew by so it is a little bit longer than normal but i hope you guys enjoy all of this you know, the, the big thing, uh, is I have a handful of people that really, you know, continue to inspire me and give me something to look up to when I get into, you know, fitness in my forties, fitness in my fifties. And I really try to pay attention to their language. So, you know, I'm turning 38 here soon. And, you know, as some of the, you know, the members in the gym who are really still, I guess you'd just say pushing it, but I think just have a, a sharp mind towards, caring about their health and fitness. And to me, that's always fun to be around. It's something that I really aspire to, something that is probably the number one goal for me and probably the the actual like the the number one focus that I have when I'm in the gym is this longevity piece. And so we talk a lot about this uh, during this podcast. So I hope you guys enjoy and I'll see you soon. Welcome to the Friendship Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Binnick, and today we're going to be talking about all things fitness, wellness, and mindset so that you can be the best version of yourself for everybody in your family and life that loves you and needs you. I'm not in my, my, my foreign pronunciations are always horribly bad. I've like the worst foreign language. You tongue. missed one letter. An American tongue. It's horrible. You missed one letter. All right. Hit it for me. Stanescu. Okay. Okay. Right. So if you pronounce what you see. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Um, and where are you from originally? I'm born in Romania. Nice. I was born during the cold war. Um, I'm actually a product of the sixties. I was born in 69. Nice. Um, and I, I grew up there, so I was raised and grew up in Romania until 89 when I came to the States. I am a political refugee. Wow. The original Cold War political refugees. Ah, that's so cool. That's me and my family. I mean, it's amazing. That's one of those things we went to, you know, I went to Berlin. You said you're going to Berlin mm -hmm. this year, right? Next year. Next year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just being able to, to walk the Berlin Wall and go through, right. you know, the museum and go through kind of that whole experience as a, as a history buff, um, you know, that was just totally surreal to me. Um, it's going to be such an amazing experience for you. My grandpa remembers, uh, and my parents actually, for that matter, they remember the Berlin Wall being built. Yeah. And then we lived through it yeah. and we saw it torn down right before we came here. So it has such an influence on us yeah. um, more than anything else, probably, because it's so symbolic. Right. Um, so to see Checkpoint Charlie, to see No Man's Land, yeah. I mean, that's, it's a big deal. Yeah. People died there. Yeah. For real. So um, I, I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. And so 89, you moved to America. Where'd you move when you guys came here? So can you, can you picture 1989 a little bit? I was, yeah. I mean, I was all of four. So the Berlin Wall fell in November. Right. Yeah. Um, my, my, my plane trip was December 4th. Wow. And on December 15th, my own government fell. Wow. So I watched all of it on TV on Siena. 
And it was insane because Romania was the only one that actually had a bloodshed. Yeah. The rest of them kind of fell peacefully, but Romania didn't. People died there on the streets, in tanks. Yep. You know, it was, it was pretty bad all in all. I missed all of it. Wow. And how old are you at this point? I'm 53 now, so I was 20 wow. when I came here. What did it, like, I feel like that age too, to watch all of that. I feel like that's just something you're sort of at that point starting to see the world more as an adult and things aren't sort of a fairy tale of a kid anymore. And when you go through that stuff and you're watching that, I feel like that's got to be something that sort of shapes worldview a little bit. I'll give you a little bit more and you'll relate to this. We were conscripted. So the January of 89, I went to the army. Yeah. I was in a tank unit. Um, I walked next to a tank. I had my weapons. I did all that. I did training for eight months. And in my ninth month, we got the visa to come to States. Oh, wow. So I became persona non grata in a heartbeat. They literally kicked me out in less than 12 hours. So forward three more months, I'm here in the States. Uh, whatever happened in Romania, we call it revolution, but it was what it was. Starts happening while my unit was still deployed. Yeah, that's Because they had say, yeah. another six months to go. Yeah. And so they were on the, f they were, they had weapons. These kids that knew nothing of any of this. Yeah. All of a sudden, they have to shoot people that are also Romanians. It's, it was the yeah. weirdest thing yeah. that you can imagine. And again, I escaped all of it. I simply, I mean, I can only imagine what it was, but I didn't have to participate. Man, I, I think about that all the time. And obviously, we're so desensitized to it in America, especially today, especially most people who have lived, you know, and grown up their whole lives here. They, it's so hard for them to fathom. I mean, you think about the worst possible military to civilian is like Kent State shooting, right? Is probably the one that comes to mind. And outside of that, it's a, it's a totally foreign concept to most people, but the rest of the world has seen it so intimately within a generation, you know? And September 11th. Yeah. I mean, that was the big one. Yeah. Right. It was on American soil. It was essentially I just mean weapons. Like countrymen. Like um, your own military. Well, true, true, true. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a very different proposition. I get right, that. Right, right. Um, you know, the, um, the, the guards, the border guards in Romania were not intended to keep people from coming in. Right. It was intended to keep people from coming out. Right. And so they were told to shoot. So yeah. you have these 18-year-olds who are conscripted to be on the border, and they see shadows in the woods or above the, uh, uh, along the river, and they have to shoot these shadows. Can you imagine being in yeah. those shoes? I, I can't. It's completely impossible. Yeah. And I mean, it's I, as an older adult now, and somebody who joined the military when they were almost 19 um, in, in the infantry, I look back now to, you know, sort of the brainwashing that goes on when you're an infantry soldier during wartime and everybody that I was serving all, all went through multiple deployments. And you're just not ready. You know, at 18, 19, you're just not ready for the discernment that that situation yeah. requires. Um, I don't know. It's a, it, it, I don't want to say it makes me mad, but you know, the way that that system is sort of created, especially when you're talking about conscription and some of those things, like, which is sort of, I'm sure, I think still to this day, the way of the world in a lot of Europe, um, is there is still, you know, I don't know if I want to say forced, but, um, you know, it's. I don't know, actually. I know that uh, most of the um, Russians may still be conscripted. I know that Israel is. They're men and women, of I think course. Switzerland is. They might be. Yeah. Uh, Romania no longer is. It's, um, it's voluntary. Yeah. And, and I know Bulgaria is the same. I know that all of them pretty much are the same in the same boat. Um, but, I mean, it is something that, you know, young men do. Yeah. And it was actually, it was, in a way, 
I kind of hated it, but it was very maturing. Right. Yeah, for sure. You leave home, you leave your, yeah. your parents' house and you live in a dormitory for, you know, nine months with the same people, mm-hmm. but you get to trust them. You get to learn about them. Yep. Um, it was, it was very, very interesting in a way. Um, but yeah. I hated the daily life with a passion. I don't know about you, but I yeah. couldn't stand it. Yeah. The idea that somebody had to tell me what to do every moment right. just doesn't work with me well. <laughs> yeah. I was actually telling a story about that the other day when you get on the drill sergeant side of things and you be the, become the person telling, um, you know, we had a rule that says <laughs> that was basically just like, um, you know, if, if Joe starts, basically you give him a second they're going to end up, you know, fuck around endlessly. Right. And so your whole goal is to fill every ounce of their time. There you go. And so it's just, you're just walking around and just going, Hey, Joe's going to fuck around. And so it's like, you got to get on top of them and give them something to do. Um, and it's like a, you know, it's a 24 seven thing. And so, but on the other end of it, you know, when you're the drill sergeant and you walk and you see the dumb shit that 18 to 19, a bunch of 18 to 19 year old guys will do with a little bit of free time. It's never anything good. I mean, that's sort of the life of, of military that's men funny. in that time. So That's funny. Yeah. yeah, the biggest challenge that I had was the fact that I am very, very curious. Yeah. So I would ask why. Yeah. When was the last time you asked why yeah. to your superiors? Yeah, they right? don't like that. No. That was one of the biggest That reasons. didn't work so I'm well. I'm really good at push-ups still to this day, and there's a reason why, and it's because I asked why a lot, and I was kind of a smart-ass. Um, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A well-timed... Uh, getting to clarification and almost inevitably you find out that most of the people that are telling you to do stuff, they don't really know why they've been told by somebody, they've been told by somebody, they didn't use any critical thinking that's skills it. for it. Um, and that's why I think it makes them so mad. <laughs> it's like, they don't that's actually funny. know why when it really boils down to it. So, um, okay. So 89, uh, moved to America. Where'd you guys move when you came here? We moved to Connecticut. So my mom came in 86. We were separated for about two and a half years. So she, uh, she went to Germany and applied for political asylum there. Uh, the German government took her in. They, they put her in that apartment. She had some money a little bit. So she spent two and a half years waiting for a visa to come to the States. And it came in 88. So she was here in Connecticut with one of her friends in 88. And by 89, we were ready to come. So she had a house in Connecticut for us rented. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we moved to Glastonbury, Connecticut, just outside Hartford. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I was obviously out of school. I didn't have a college degree yet. So I started my first job at a grocery store. Wow. Imagine being in a line trying to sell all this vegetables in English yeah. that I did not know. Yeah. And all these people come ask me questions in English yeah. that I did not know. That's well. what I was just going to ask you is how was your English at this point? So I studied French and English for about uh, eight years when I, was in, when I was there, but it's different right. when you try to speak. Right. It's just... The words don't come. And of course, you know, I would hear myself and I would hate what I, the way I talked. But being able to respond in line, having to learn vegetable names and yeah. products, I didn't know any of that. So it was definitely an experience. Yeah. Um, but you know what? It's just, I, would, I was willing to do anything. Yeah. So once that passed, I got in my first car. Um, my, I, started, I started a computing class. So I did, uh, I did, I did computers for about six months. And then that September, I got my first job. Um, it was with a brokerage house in Hartford. Wow. Very interesting place. It kind of taught me about money and investment. Yeah. And it kind of laid the, the foundation for what came next. Yeah. Um, so two years later, I came, I came here. I went to college. Um, I did college as an adult. Yeah. So Columbus State, then I went to Franklin. Um, I finished Franklin, actually, in a little over four years. Yeah. So I kind of did 
bachelor's yeah. as, a, as an adult with right. a full-time job. Yep. Um, and in a little over four years. So it was, it was, it was hard. It was a lot of work. You know, I got married in the meantime. Um, but I, you know, it was, life started moving at that point. Yeah. I, I met Krista. We, we, we got married. I stayed in Columbus. I was not supposed to stay in Columbus. My goal was to go back to Connecticut okay. to my family and move to Boston. Yeah. But you know how it is. Mm-hmm. Life changes. Yeah. Things change. I got, the, I got that job. Then I graduated. I got a different job at, at Quest. And life became a little more interesting. So yeah. I just stayed here. And we started traveling together and she went to college and then I went to my master's, she went to her master's and that's how we got into our thirties. And all of a sudden it just makes sense to stay here. Yeah. And that's it. You've been here ever since. I've been here ever since. I love it. Um, Yeah. It's a really cool story. I mean, there's like a million questions I feel like I want to go to, but. um, Go for it. So when you got out, what'd you get your master's degree in? Where, what was your original degree in from fact? And then what was your master's degree in? They were both in computer science. Okay. And so that's like, what I guess drew you to, like, that's interesting to me, I guess. So you come here where you try and think timeline wise, when you came to America, computers were not a big thing yet, but then nineties boom. What, I guess, what drew you to computers? It's interesting because my mom decided that that's good for me, which yeah. is kind of incredible because we hadn't seen each other in two and a half years. Yeah. But when I was in school, I was really good at math. I was a math geek. Mm-hmm. Um, it just made sense to me, yeah. you know, algorithms and, you know, this, the steps that it takes to build, to, to develop a, a proof for an algebra problem just made sense to me. So she thought that computers was um, something that I could do. Yeah. And she had a friend who was building a software company at the time. I mean, we're talking early nineties here, yeah, right? right? We're talking before windows, um, 95, it's like windows three, one and yeah. two and all those. And he was building the software company and she thought that I could do that. Yeah. So she put me in this training class for six months and I loved it. Yeah. It was amazing. It was mainframe and assembler computing. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't get any closer to the hardware right. and it was very, very interesting. And so it kind of, that's really what started yeah. all of this, but it's a, it was really a good foundation for what I wanted to do next. And it fit my personality. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's uh, prescient almost, you know, to think that, I don't know, I guess I, I think about, I sort of had, I want to say an opposite experience, but um, you know, nineties, when I started to get into computers, it's almost like there wasn't a future there. Like nobody saw that as an opportunity for anything at the time. Right? Isn't that incredible? And I've always, my whole life been great at computers, loved computers, always mm-hmm. built my own computers, still do. Um, and, but never took any formal education, never learned anything about programming or any of that. And, um, it definitely, for me, same thing, you know, math was always my strong subject and, and I feel like it would have been something I would have been great at. Um, but you know, standard education in America sort of never really at that point was 10 years behind, probably still is 10 years behind a little bit and had no real path right on, on how to figure that stuff out. Um, so I just think that's pretty cool that like, that was your path. And when you came in, it was, and it was, it was a bit of luck. Let's yeah. face it, because she decided this works. It was only six months. Um, gave me my first job. I was making $18,000 in the first year. Wow. Yeah. Like 500 bucks every check. Yep. Um, but it, it and, and the other thing is that it was a, it was a brokerage house. Yeah. So it taught me about money yeah, and stock right. exchange yeah. and how stocks work and how, how the markets work. Yeah. And let's face it. Most everybody is financially illiterate mm-hmm. and it's really unfortunate because we need to grow a nest egg of some kind. Right. And so there are certain principles of it that are really interesting to me. Right. I learned them all then. Yeah. And to be right in it, to be right there. I mean, we had uh, the 
back then they had seats on the stock exchange floor and that's how you traded stocks. You actually called somebody yeah. on the floor right. and our company had a couple of seats on the floor. They were probably worth millions of dollars at the time. Right. So it, it was very interesting to just to learn how that works. Yeah. And so, so ever since then I do my own investments, right. you know, I don't, really need financial advice because I understand how it works and yeah. I understand what, what you get burned on and what yeah. do we, how you make money. I understand how this stuff works yeah. and how the principles of making money, um, you know, work. So, and it, it all came from there. So you're right. It was, it was a bit of luck in, yeah. in many ways. Well, in Connecticut, you know, even just moving to Connecticut, which is kind of a financial hub, right? Like that's kind of what, when True. I think of Connecticut, you know, what their main True. service sector is, is probably financial. Uh, and it was insurance yeah, specifically. Right. Yep. And then yep. when you think about that too, then introducing computers and software and how that changed investment. And now you start seeing your, your window of knowledge opportunity just start to shrink and shrink and shrink. And so, um, yeah, that's fascinating. That's really cool. Um, Wow. It, it's a cool story. I love it. Um, now, uh, you know, and then I also think too, just thinking about coming, you know, from a different country in your twenties and seeing the political revolution. And you think about the ideas of investing finance, if you were saving in, what was the Romanian currency when you left? It was called Leo and, um, just local currency. And when the revolution happened, did it go away? It, it replaced, it was replaced with the same, um, with this, uh, currency with the same name, okay. but, they had to go beyond inflation right. and, revalue, and almost. revalue everything and start over again. Yep. And I think sometimes that's like, um, again, I talk about this with certain friends sometimes where, um, you know, I've, I've known people that have fled, you know, Venezuela in, in different South American countries that have over a hundred percent inflation annually. Right. And so you're losing, you know, uh, you're, you're getting cut in half annually. Um, and it's such a foreign concept to Americans. They can't fathom it happening right. because they've had such a stable dollar in the world reserve currency their whole life. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, the idea of, of savings and even diversification and some of those things and, uh, you know, principles Correct. of investing, I think sometimes are, are lost on people. They get burned sometimes because they don't have any life experience to show them what can happen with political instability and what can happen with revolutions and some of those things too. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, I didn't live through the inflation because I was already here, mm -hmm. uh, my family, but even, even so, uh, my grandparents, they, I got to tell you a bit more story about myself though. So my grandma was born in Akron in 1917. Wow. So if you go back to the early, to the late century, uh, late 19th century, early 20th century immigration, there was a lot of Eastern Europeans that came to this land. And my grandpa was, my great grandpa was one of them. Yep. So on Ellis Island, we found his signature oh, wow. when he came That's here. Cool. He actually, he took the boat trip twice because yeah. he came as a teenager, went back, married a woman, came here in like 1890, I think, or 1895, something like that. And then lived here until the twenties and he was a butcher. So he fed the people that worked the, um, the whole steel belt yeah. around Pittsburgh. Yeah. So they went from Akron to, um, they, were, they were actually an alliance, not an Akron. Um, they went to Detroit, they went to Indianapolis, they moved around for those 30 years or so. And he had four girls here, four daughters. Wow. One of them actually never made it back. She's still buried in Alliance. Um, the other one may, uh, died in late 20s. And then two of them survived, which is my grandma and her sister. Yeah. So they are American citizens. Wow. So in 1946, after the war, they had a decision to make. 
They both had kids. Yeah. They both had, they both, they were both married. So they had to decide, do they stay or do they come to States? And they both decided to stay because yeah. they didn't know what would happen to the husbands. They could take the kids to States, but they weren't sure about the husbands. Yeah. So they both decided to stay. That's pretty Well, cool. in the nineties, then my grandma came because she's a U.S. citizen. Yeah. <laughs> so it was easy for her to come here. Right. She lived with my mom, of course. Um, and so that kind of brought everybody here. So yeah. that whole side of the family, they're all here. So yeah. all my cousins, uh, the grandparents are dead, of course. Yeah. Um, but all the cousins are here and they have families now and they have kids. So they're all in Connecticut. Wow. Yeah. Yes. So they had to essentially relinquish all the properties in early nineties. Yeah. So for about two or three years, we had to send the money because you're right. They would have this pension yeah. and all of a sudden it was worth nothing. Right. So we constantly have to feed them a little bit of money so that they could live for those couple of years and yep. then, you know, eventually make it here. Um, but that inflation, that hyperinflation in the nineties was terrible. Yeah. It was really challenging for people. We went, we watched Omar do that. Um, he was sending a lot of money mm -hmm. back home to Egypt and, and he goes, it's the nailing the prices and the remittances and all the challenges and all that stuff was so hard because one week to the next, to the next, to the next. Wow you, you know, you'd be sending gas money or something to his mom to go to, to go to work. And, you know, you'd send him, so take a American dollars, you'd send 50 bucks and you'd think, okay, that's going to get her a full tank of gas. That'll last a week. But now a tank of gas is $142. And so it's like, doesn't even get her a third. Right. Wow. That's um, crazy. And so, you know, he'd be telling these stories and he just is like the, the targets all mm -hmm. over the place and you just can't figure it out. Um, and then, you know, and then talking to him about it, he goes, yeah, this is really like our, whatever it was, second or third revolution just in his lifetime. Um, and so it's it, that some of that stuff, I think it, it's selfishly, it's interesting to listen to because it's something for me that is so such a foreign concept. I've never lived through it. I've never experienced it. And it is fascinating, the resiliency, I think of people. Um, and I think more than anything, I think it's just, it's good stories to hear. Cause I think a lot of people don't think about this stuff. We, we live through a lot of instability, yep. Eastern Europe, that area, you know, yeah. Egypt, the whole Mediterranean area, yeah. it's been incredibly unstable, unstable. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a factor of the different tribes. Mm -hmm. There are so many different tribes. Yeah. Some of them were all held together by force. Some of them created essentially, um, fake boundaries between them. And so over time, those, those, I don't want to say conflicts, but those differences, yeah arose and changed and were reborn and then they died away and then came back again. And it's just, it's really unfortunate in many ways yeah. because you can't just live in your tribe. Right. You need more than just your tribe. Right. You need the, the, the surrounding tribes as well in many cases. Yeah. And to see this, this splintering of Eastern Europe was actually very bothersome to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the, the, you know, the story of history. Maria and I were watching a um, one of those fast paced, uh, map change, uh, you know, videos where you, you're looking oh, at yeah. the world maps and how much it's changed. And you just watch that sector, you know, that, that Eastern Europe, um, from, you know, Greece down into it and, and just the, the changes. I mean, even just in the last 250 years, I mean, I right. think sometimes people just have no clue of, of, you know, you go back to great grandparents, you're getting totally different country names, totally yep. different, you know, political um, religious, every, everything is changing so frequently. Um, and I, it, you know, that to me is it's, it's, I, that's why I love history. I think it's, it's so fascinating to see, um, like you said, where cooperation wins out, right. Versus where conflict wins out. 
and how those without a question pool resources and tribes can work together and create these powerhouses versus, you know, forcing conflict and then how destructive that is. Um, okay, well, let's get into friendship. Uh, yeah, friendship stuff. So it's my me, favorite place. Man. Yeah, I love that. Um, the big reason, you know, I, lo- I wanted to ask you on because I think there's a handful of people that I would say that like every interaction with, I feel like I leave positive. You know, I feel like um, even your constructive criticism and feedback and stuff to me that's been challenging, I think is always coming from a place of true love. And I feel that from you. Yeah. From me? Yeah. Chris. Oh yeah, for sure. Rarely, but you know, sometimes, um, but uh, you know, I love that. You know, and I feel like you always leave me feeling with a smile and I see just watching your third party interactions with others. That's always like, even if I can't hear what you guys are talking about, I can see people smiling, you know, you're, you're giving Dre shit or you guys are talking about soccer or, you know, you're talking over here with Maria about something and, Everyone's only smiling when they're talking to you. So I think it's really a blessing and a gift, um, you know, that, that you make others feel that way. So I think it was really fun. Uh, I was super excited to have you on. So I appreciate you coming, but why don't you just tell us what prompted you to join friendship in the first place? I love it. So, um, I, um, I used to work for a company called OCLC and I was there for about 15 years. And I don't know if you remember Hank, Mm -hmm. Hank's way. Mm -hmm. He worked there too. Yep. So he and I would work, would work out together and he was really lean, really powerful. And, and I always wondered, you know, how he stayed that way. He was a little bit younger than me. And I just went to the gym and we had, we had great training. Don't take me wrong. And I met this group of, of guys and we started lifting. We started following CrossFit football, as a matter of fact. Oh, there you go. Speaking, nice. you mentioned it the other it day in the, the podcast. Yeah. Back in the day, we would follow it a week behind because... I couldn't just be surprised by what happened any given right. day. So we had to see what happened the week before, but we started lifting and we started, you know, cleans and we started squats and front squats and stuff like that. Just the way that we could do it based on videos. Yeah. And, and in 80, what was it? In, two, in 2018, um, I decided to leave and I went to chase. Yeah. So then I had to make a decision. Where am I going to go work out? And Hank said, why don't you come here? Yeah. Well, so Polaris was an option. Um, because I was working in near Polaris, I had to find a way that I could either go on the way to work at lunch or on my way back home. So I had to be somewhere in between. And you live in Dublin, right? And I live in Dublin. Yeah. So I had to be somewhere in between the two. And I went to Polaris. Polaris was, um, it just didn't, it, it just didn't do anything for me. I saw their workouts. I met one of the coaches and I was like, nah, okay, whatever. Yeah. So since he mentioned friendship and then I came here, Andy was the one that did my check-in. Yeah. And you know how Andy is. Mm-hmm. He has this magnetic personality. So he got me hooked from day one. I mean, there was no question. I think I met you the first, that first few, those first few days too. And as a matter of fact, my fifth year is this week. Oh, is it? Wow. Yeah, That's this crazy. is it. It has That's to, nuts. because I remember paying my first full month in March. Yeah. So this is my fifth year. Nice. Right now is ending. Wow. Um, yeah, so. Flies. That's so crazy. Thank it really, it really yeah. did, didn't it? So. I, I came here and it was, it was the right thing for me. So when I was, when I was young, I played, so- I played everything. I played soccer. I was a skinny dude. I was a skinny geek who did math and soccer at the same time. It was, it was that kind of personality. Um, I would, we would play for hours in the, in the evening. I played volleyball. I played basketball. I swam. I did rollerblades. Hell, I hopscotched and, yeah. and did rope with, you know, with the girls around the, the building. So we always lived outside. It's just how we lived. Yeah. And so for me, there was no way that I could just sit yeah. and not do anything. So I played soccer through the nineties and in 2001, right before September 11th, as a matter of fact, I tore my ACL. Um, 
up until then, I didn't train. Nobody trained. Mm -hmm. You know how it was back then. You yeah. just, you run like a maniac. You do sprints, you do stairs. Yeah. You don't work anything else. Right. So I didn't do a pull-up until I came, until I went to OCLC, as a matter of fact. Yeah. So you were talking in my 30s. Yeah. So once I tore my ACL, I needed training. And so coming to OCLC then, I discovered, I discovered the gym and how they were organized. And it started to make sense to me. Yeah. I was getting a little older. I need a little bit more training. You can't just wake up and play for five hours anymore. Right. So that fitness started, you know, I mean, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. And so, so that was one thing. So that was, you know, the, the, the gym there was what got me into fitness pretty much. But I also met these group of guys there who were martial arts experts. So, you know, lots of black belts. And we had a club downstairs in the studio three days a week. We trained. So I trained with them for 12 years. Wow. I got my second degree black belt in a um, uh, style called Shitoru. Mm. It's uh, it's one of the original Okinawan style. Wow, really interesting stuff. Um, it was it was really fun to train with them. Yeah, and I wish that I could go back because that would be fun. But there's really no place that is convenient. Yeah, right. Krav Maga was an option here in Dublin, but the guy closed it some yeah. years ago, so it's just not convenient anymore. Yeah. But you know that aside. Um, so then, you know, I go through my thirties, my forties and all of a sudden I really need training. Yeah. So I, I kind of hooked onto these guys at the, at OCLC and it felt good. These lifts, all of a sudden I can do these things. Right. Um, so then I come to friendship and everything changed. I, I am significantly better today than I was five years ago. I mean, yeah. there's no comparison. Um, when I came, I don't think I could do an overhead squat with a broom. Mm. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm not sure that I knew how to do a snatch. Yeah. Um, there's no way that I could even take a bar off the ground and land 45 pounds over my head. It was just not an option. Right. Um, same with pull-ups, same with everything pretty much. If you, if you ask me to run or lift, I can do it because, you know, that's my basics. Right. But anything that's overhead, it's still a challenge. Yeah. But the difference between five years ago and today is just, it's night and day. Yeah. Um, I was, interestingly enough, we had the push press workout the other day, five, five, three, three, one, one, one. Yep. Well, apparently we did it again last January. Yeah. So in my log, I have the results from then and I have the results from now and it is 15 pounds heavier. So, so it's 10% quite, better. Quite a bit stronger now. 10% yeah. better than I was, you know, last year. Yeah. And that's still, you know, four years after starting here. It, it's been, it's been just a great adventure. There's no question. I am fitter. I am more, I'm stronger. I lost some speed, but not because of the training, but because of age. Mm -hmm. And I probably have what I have because of training. Um, I play soccer with, a, with people that are 20 years younger than me um, and they don't kick me off the field. So yeah. that's always useful. <laughs> and that's really the idea is that I train so I can play with them. Right, right. Um, they are younger. They know the game. They know how to play it. So it's my job to stay with them as long as I can. Yeah. And since they don't kick me off the field, you know, I'm happy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, for me, you know, I've... I, the journey for me that's been fun to watch. And um, I have all of these, uh, you know, there's, there's hundreds of people that have been in the gym for five years or so. And I probably have things that I'm proud of, of them that may not even be on their radar. Um, so for me, it really has been your squat development, you know, because when you first came, we really had to work on, I remember consistently letting yourself be comfortable. Lower, he said, yep. lower, he said, <laughs> you were, you just wanted so badly to hang on at that, like one or two inches right above parallel. And like one day, I want to say it was probably during one of the squat cycles, you, we were doing a warm up or a hold 
and you finally like let your hips just like give and sit all the way down and you like showed me and I was like, ah, you can do it. Right. As soon as you showed me, you can do it. Now it's just a question of training it. Right. Um, And so, you know, it's been so fun to watch because it starts with being able to front squat it and then it starts and then it moves into being able to clean into that position. And then, like you said, being able to snatch her overhead squat into that position but that base level fundamental of being able to go down into that squat um, has been something that you're, you're not only more mobile, which is hard to do as you get older to become more mobile, but you're also stronger and more stable throughout that full range of motion. So you're, you're safer too. And so that's, what's been so cool for me to watch is I've watched so many people go, I've watched people go decades without fixing that, but then having to see your development on that and then watching like even just you and Andy watching you guys watching you clean last week. It's just like, man, that's you're you're cruising past weights that it seems like even just a year ago were hard for you. You know, 165 oh, is like a warm no question. Now. And just watching your crispness and your comfortability and moving down into that bottom position. Um, it's it's been really fun to watch as a coach. So this is what I wanted to say about friendship in particular. It's the coaching. It's the coaching because you don't let people do the wrong thing. You are gonna, you're going to pay attention to them. And if they don't do the right thing, eventually you're going to say something. So I feel safe doing this stuff. I feel safe knowing that if you tell me, you, you, you brought up the squat cycle, right? Those damn Bulgarian split squats. Yeah. I've hated you every day. Mm-hmm. I did that for a month with you and I thought I was going to die. Yeah. And every day I would pick up a kettlebell and I hear Jeff go, heavier and my first thought was son of a bitch (laughs) but that's why i know that it's right because you know that is the right thing to do and so that's the the stuff that i appreciate about coaching here is that you you get these these this training from everybody and it's consistent it's the same people i've seen for five years you don't get coaches don't come and go through your gym they don't disappear and then you get new people it just it's different it's very stable and so you get you get that relationship with them and you know they're gonna, you're going to get the right training. And so that's really what I appreciate about this. But I also say something else to everybody else. When, they, when we talk about gyms, I talk about your pyramid. Mm. And that bottom one that says community yeah. and group. Yep. You're right. There's nothing like it anywhere else. I've been to other gyms in the country. I've been, you know, I drop in, you know, pretty much everywhere. Yes, they have the old CrossFit mantra. And you can feel that, that yeah. community feel. But it's different the way you bring, you bring it to the gym. And that's really what I appreciate it. Um, there, is, there is something to be said about getting a text from someone and say, hey, I haven't seen you for a week. You know, what happened? Or um, just the part of workouts. Yeah. You know, today I was with Sam. And during the workout, he said, we are right on pace with that team. Let's beat them. Yeah. So he made me do these thrusters heavier than I wanted to do and faster than I wanted to do them. And I do them anyhow. Yep. And so that's the thing. That's the thing that was makes friendship what it is. Yep. Um, you came, you know, through a podcast, I heard how you came along doing this. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's like, yeah, it's fait accompli. It is, right? This is how it should be. Yeah. So why don't others do it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think it's, uh, I, I would say a lot of it's, you know, luck really in reality. It's, uh, you know, being married to Maria and having 
her personality, which is special and unique, wear off on me in certain ways. And then having Jenny, whose personality is special and unique in a totally different way, wear off on me. And having Grant, whose personality is very different than the two of them, wear off on me in a different way. You know, it's you're you're able to gather, I think, sort of the the best parts of of some of those people, you know, who have been, that's the crew's been around for 10 years, you know, and then you get it with, you know, Liz and Andy and, um, you know, they've been around for six and seven years now. And, um, you know, those, those things that you just keep pulling every time that you're able to add an extra cog to that machine, you're able to pull some of the best parts out from them and let them bleed into the community. And, um, you know, that's, that's, I think a testament to, to each of those individual personalities. And then, um, you know, I've just been, been, I think lucky that, that people come in and they like that. Right. Um, so, cause you know, it's always been interesting to me. I, I mean, you know, Maria well, and I've always been stunned a little bit that her personality doesn't like turn some people off, but it doesn't like she makes it's only a feel, friendship. Yeah. She makes people feel warm and comfortable and somehow she can do what she does and she can say what she says and she can do these things and people can just laugh and smile it off. And I brought her to my soccer team and the very first day she had never met these people and she was friends with all of them yeah. somehow. And they were friends with her. Right. So that magnetic personality just comes through. And, and that's really the, you're right that those different personalities in the gym, it really makes it where I feel that it's my gym. I know that you own it, mm. but this is my gym. <laughs> yeah. Don't mess with it, yeah. right? Yeah. But also I want to promote it to everyone else because it's the right place to come. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's the, we've seen so many people I think come and go and I always try to now be in tune with the fact that, um, you know, the people like yourself, it's when, when it's right, it's right. Right. And you recommended it to, you know, Milt and for Milt, it's right. Right. And there, there are some people um, who come in and it's just not right for them. You know, it's the, they want, um, you know, they want to be, they don't like team workouts. They don't want to partner with somebody. They don't want to be forced into a conversation to meet somebody else. You know, those things that we do are uncomfortable for them. Sorry. Um, see, so I can't, do, I can't do the distraction and blocking out the noise like you can. Um, and so, um, you know, that's, that's, I think been something that when I was, younger and a more naive business owner. And I didn't have, you know, the, the 12 years of, of sort of business history behind me to, to give me some confidence with stuff. Uh, I really struggled with that. You know, I was like, do we need to change things? Do we need to stop doing partner workouts? Do we need to stop, you know, doing like introductions and celebrating people and doing these things? And it's just like, you know, now it's so much more of like, no, it's just like, how can we do more of these things that makes sort of friendship, friendship and, um, you know, really trying to allow some of those things to shine and just be who we are. And then, if it's just not right for people, just, you know, saying, thanks for coming. You know, appreciate you trying to sell. It's interesting that you bring up the point that it's not for everyone. Mm. Um, I don't know what kind of personality you need to be to be good at friendship or, or, or benefit from it. But I think that it would benefit anybody as long as they just come. Yeah. Um, it's the, it's the one person, the one friend you make that, you see every day that you start working out and um, the one guy that pushes you and, you know, the next move that you get to learn, the skills that you get to learn. The, um, and, and that's really what attracted me to CrossFit in the first place is the skills. Yeah. Um, I am not good at a whole slew of them and I am good at some of them. I don't have so many of them, but I'm working on it. And it's just the ability to learn these skills. 
I don't know, as a human, it's kind of cool to be able to do that. It's a cool party trick, yeah. you know, to do a pistol squat in a bar yeah. in jeans. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool because yeah. people look at you and say you're crazy. Yeah. Um, so I kind of find that cool you know, to see to see new people come to the gym and have handstand walks. I've been working on them for five years. I still don't have it. Yeah. Um, and it's it's the kind of skill that I think we should be able to have. Mm-hmm. If you, when Stevie grows up, she's going to do handstand walks like nothing, yep. right? She's going to be able to do pull-ups like nothing. So why do we lose that? Right. Because we don't continue it. Yep. So I, in a way we have no excuse not having it as adults yep. because we had them when we were kids. So we should have these skills. Yeah. The other thing is that I'm not going to be able to lift what you lift, but I should be able to do the body work skills. Right. Those, I have no excuse. Right. Unless I have something broken in my system, which I don't, right. then I have no excuse but to be able to do it. So that kind of motivates me to be able to do that. Yeah. I would think that that's motivating to anybody. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. I'm not sure. But I would think that that is what, what can motivate people is the ability to just move better. It's the fountain of youth. Let's face it. Yeah. Uh, well, my retort back to you will go back to the very beginning of this conversation, which is why is not everybody financially literate? You know, all the information is freely available at any given time. It's not hard. You can read two books and pretty much have it all figured out. Uh, yeah, here we are. You know, it's the, I, I agree with you completely. I think the, and I like to use the same language as you do, which is you should be able to do this. And me and my mom talk about this a lot. And one of the things I love and respect the most about my mom is that, you know, 70 years old, she is still acquiring these skills. She right. still has, I, I should her. be able to do this, Yeah, which I love in there. And I mean, I see now I see 20 somethings come into the gym and they don't have that mentality. Like I'm like, you know, you can't pick up your body weight off the ground. That's a problem. Okay. And they're kind of, they're like, why is, I don't know. That's not important to me in my life. And it's just like, no, it's a, it's a problem. It's a foundational problem. You should, every single person should be able to deadlift their body weight at a bare minimum. Right. Like if you, again, same thing, like we go over to, uh, you know, kids and we watch the kids program. Absolutely. None of those kids uh, and even them, they're still brand new in their strength journey, but they're still not going to struggle to pick up their body weight in a deadlift. Mm-hmm. Most of them. Um, and, you know, I think that's the thing I, I think about it as shoulds, if your body can, and you're born with it and just even the lowest amount of training and the, the decent amount of, you know, eating like a normal human, you should be able to do these basic level of human skills, be able to pl- do a plank. You should be able to do a push up. Some of these things like we should be able to do. Well, the fact is, is that we did them. Yeah. You're two, three, four, five, six. And we did all of that. Yep. All of it. And so there's no, per, there's no reason to lose it. Yep. I remember when I was young, we, we would play soccer at this place and I would be out there in the 90 degree weather for hours. We had a hose to get water and that was all we needed, right? There was a bar, a pull-up bar, one of those fixed um, gymnastics bar. I remember doing muscle-ups or those, no, not muscle-ups, I'm sorry. I was, those, the... When you lift your legs over the pullovers, that's right. I remember doing those things. I don't think I can right now. And I know I can because I tried it actually with, you know, in Jenny's classes. So it's, it was there. It was possible. We did it. There's no reason to lose that stuff. And the fact is that we grow old because we stopped doing these things. And there's, there's no excuse to not maintain the flexibility and the, and the mobility that we have as a 20 or 30 year old. And that's really what motivated me the most yeah. to be here. Yeah. And I love that mentality. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, it's jumping 
running, you know, like mm-hmm. you said, those are your foundations. So you're not, those aren't on your radar to be worried about right now, you know, but I think that's the things that you start to see go first for people. Um, and it's that decision. You know, I have this fight frequently as we get into running season. We just ran for the first time yesterday. I get into that fight every year with people as a coach. I'm just like, look, one thing to choose not to run because, you know, like last year you hurt your calf and we're healing it. We don't want to damage it any further. But if every year, year after year after year comes by and you just say, I'm just not going to run. I'm just not going to run. I'm just not going to run. Keep doing that. Really, like what you're saying without knowing you're saying it is I'm losing the ability to run another 5% this year. That's it. I'm losing the ability to run another 5%. Food's here. Um, And so, you know, I think that's if people worded it or looked at it that way in their head, they might act differently. Um, And so, like, like you said, as we start looking at some of these skills, too is everything is a choice to either I'm going to get one step closer to being able to do it, or I'm going to get one step further away from never being able to do it again. And well, but that's, I mean, you're right. So the, the thing about it is we lose the ability over time. Right. And so you have to work on maintaining it. We, that was not a problem when you were 20 and 30, but all of a sudden by 35, by 40, by 45, you have to work to maintain that because otherwise it goes away. And you say that jumping and running is in my wheelhouse. It was in my wheelhouse, but the fact is, is that it becomes more and more difficult to do it. Right. And so not being able to land, not being able to explode, not being able to jump, you will lose those things right. without a question. So you have to keep doing them. Yep. Um, I have a, I have a certain sensibility about jumping in particular because I had my ACL tear. Yep. It turns out that women tear ACLs 10 times more than men. And it's usually without contact. Yeah. It's That's just, it's, it's just the way that their hamstrings work. They have to work a little bit better in order for that knee to stay, to be safe. Yeah. So there are certain ways that you work this. And right. so when I rehab my knee, I started learning about these techniques that this dude in Cincinnati did with female athletes yep. and almost all of their injuries were soccer, volleyball, and basketball, always jumping and landing, just not the right way. Right. And so the hamstring has to start working a little bit better. Yep to make that, to avoid that, that injury. So deep in my head, I'm thinking, well, I want to be able to jump. And so if I don't train this jump, that hamstring is going to go. Yeah. And it's just a question of time when I want to be on the field, I'm going to go for a header. And next thing I know, I turn my ACL again. Right. I don't have another surgery in me. Yeah. I had two of them. I'm done. Yep. Let's face it. So there is no way that I can allow another injury to happen like that. Yeah. And that's a, you know, you're, you're, what I try to talk about with my mom or really with anybody who has a, has a, you know, stress injury or has, has dealt with surgery and anything in their past is we should always be doing PT. The amount of PT and the frequency and the, maybe the intensity of that PT should be based a little bit on age and a little bit on what we're going to be doing and how we're going to be doing it. So if you are going to be using that ACL, if you are going to be um, actively participating in those things, a PT should be a staple still, you know, the PT you did when you recovered and rehabbed should be the PT that you're still focusing on and frequently doing today. And, you know, we get to do the sexy stuff in the gym, you know, the heavy split jerks today. That's, that's the sexy stuff, the working out with Sam, the partner stuff, you know, your mind goes and, and you're, you're having fun, you're working hard, but you're having fun, you know? And so I always kind of say, that's the sexy stuff. The, the, you know, post-workout or pre-workout rehab stuff over in the corner by yourself with the mini bands doing the stuff that you're not good at and is weirdly difficult, right? Like all that physical therapy stuff is weirdly difficult. 
that's the stuff that's going to, that, that really makes a huge, huge difference. So I was listening to your podcast. I don't remember which one, a couple of sessions ago. And that's exactly what you said. The, um, the accessories at the end, the PT work. And it, I never considered it to be PT, but then I, as I'm looking at it, I'm like, he's right. Well, yeah, so you got in my head. You said the hamstring. I think there's you I got in my head. Just watched like a 10 minute video from knees over toes guy the other day talking about um, uh, Martin St. Louis and somebody else. And they were doing um, glute ham developer work as like a staple since they were like teenagers. And they never had like a knee or hip or back injury. They were known for like massive flexibility, massive mm-hmm. strength and speed, all these different things. And, and he, you know, he puts it, attributes it basically to just like their hamstrings were so beyond strong that became elite athletes when they, nobody ever thought they could. So, yeah, you definitely got in my head. There's no question. It's just, it's, that's the kind of information that you don't get out of the world. You know, it's just, it's not there. That so you say go the book the information is there read a book you'll know it this is not the kind of stuff you know right this is why we come to friendship this right. is why I listen to you but I'll tell you that podcast got in my brain and and I think you were talking about there were two back to back it was that one and then the one on virtuosity mm. and this idea that you, you you do all these things because they make you better at the end of the sexy workout yep. but it's also you it's also the fact that you put effort into it right so you are virtuous at it we had the same conversation at work in a little bit of a different um direction but it's the same concept it's the idea of craftsmanship be proud of what you do be proud of the code you write be proud of the work you do and and every time you do it do it all and do it right. right. It's the same thing, right? So all of a sudden I hear you talking the same terms and like I said, it got in my, it got in my head. So now I do all the things at the end of the workout, even though it takes me past the hour sometimes, you just finish them because there's a reason why there's four of them. Right. Did I hate them? Yeah, I did. Right, right. Yeah, yeah I did. And, and you know, I, I, Andy and I actually talked about this the other day as it comes to just cleaning the facility and just little stuff like, you know, it's the... It, if you get obsessed with it, with that idea of, of do the right work the right way and take pride in it, and you do it with every little thing, what you'll find is all those little things compounded and added up are what makes something exceptional. And I think that's really where, you know, now I look at that every day. It's the same thing, you know, with the accessory work, with you know, cleaning, with, you know, whatever my role or task is for that day, if I can just do the 5% more, the 5% better and, you know, accomplish that task with my maximum focus and effort for that five or 10 minutes when the easy thing is lock up the facility and go home. The hard thing is, you know, it's two o'clock and I've got a podcast with you and I just did this, Um, you know, just hit my workout, my bench press, met with my coaches, met with the guy who's, you know, doing the maintenance on the equipment right now. And Easy thing to do is lock up, call it a Friday, go home, get some lunch. Right thing to do though, floor needed scrubbed, pull out the floor scrubber, take five minutes, get it done. Evening classes, you know, the floor is going to look 5% better for them. It's going to smell a little better. It's going to be a little bit cleaner. And so like, it's not like they'll all come in and recognize it right away, but maybe the one or two people would have recognized that it wasn't clean. Maybe the one or two people, you know, wouldn't have appreciated it wasn't as pristine as it could have been. And so I I think about that stuff with so many different aspects of it. And like you said, the idea of craftsmanship, that, that, that 
you know, notion when it comes to accessory work for me is always the, you know, just, just do that little bit extra hard. And then like you're playing soccer, you're going to have, I think at least, at least for me, this is the way it works in my head is I have just that little bit more confidence when it it. comes to the end of the game, when it comes to, I need, I need to jump for the header on the corner kick at the end of the game. That's the stuff that if I, if I've always done that little bit extra every time that I can go that extra 5%. That's what got in my head. The point that you make of every time you lose a rep, you lose a rep and they all compound to something. Just like if you add a rep, it compounds to something else. And so you're in the 90th minute, you're losing. You need that one more sprint to go down to the corner. Can you make it? Well, that extra rep and training will make you get there. Yeah. And if you don't have it, you can't do it. Yeah. And I, I've been listening. I was watching a Kobe Bryant thing. I want to say it was that Redeem Team documentary that's on Netflix. And I'm pretty sure that's it. They were talking about who's going to take the last shot, LeBron or Kobe, and who's it going to be, you know? Um, and just like Kobe's mentality towards like last game winning shots is like, it always goes to me because nobody's put up more shots than me, period. End of story. Um, and, and he goes in deep down, LeBron knows it. The coach knows it. Every single person here knows it deep down. And so when I say, give me the ball, nobody says, anything. nobody questions it because they all know that, you know, deep down I've done the most accessory work or I'm the most practiced for it. Um, so, you know, I always like, like that mentality for just our little world of, of, you know, training and, um, you know, trying to prepare for everyday life and get better at these little skills. You know, obviously we're not playing in the Olympics, uh, you know, like, like that Kobe Bryant story was. Um, but I do think that that stuff is indicative of just little ways and how you can carry the tasks that you're doing at work, at the gym. You know, if you always put in that little bit more effort, um, that's what makes you, I think, just more able to do it, you know, more that's able it. to keep putting in more effort when you that's need it. it. You know, when you need to put in a little bit more grit, um, you know, God forbid ever something happened to the company and they need to look at laying people off and they need to get, um, you know, buckling down and saying, Hey guys, we got to get this done right now. You know, who do you choose? Yep. Who do you choose? Are you practiced? Are you ready? Um, and do you have confidence in it? So, so there's on, on a soccer team, there are about 28 people. Yeah. There's between 25 and 28 on the roster. 11 of them play 18 actually go to the game. How do you think they're chosen? They're chosen. They're chosen based on training. Right. So when you hear a player come to a team and they don't see the field, they don't see the bench, they don't see the, they, you never see them again. There's a reason for that. Right. They don't train well. Right. That's the only explanation. Yep. A manager, a, a coach would never sideline a player because they don't like him. Right. They have a goal and a goal only, and that is to win. And if that player gives them a win, he'll play him. But the reason they don't is because they don't train well. Right. And it's life is the same way. When, when you have the abilities, when you train well, and that moment comes, whether you make an investment decision or, I don't know, you choose to do something, whatever it is, you have that, that extra training, the confidence of training comes along. There, there's another interesting point that, that I wanted to bring up, which kind of surprised me the other day. You, ch- you change the way you train weights because mm-hmm. you brought the echo bike or the, the um, effort ahead of it. Right. right? Mm-hmm. I've noticed this and I've talked to other people in the gym too. 
Because you're tired, your brain stops thinking. So your training takes over. And guess what? All of us lift it better. It's crazy. Yep. You, it's completely counterintuitive. It is. But yet it works because your training takes over. Yep. When I was training martial arts, I constantly heard this, that when, when you're in a fight and the tunnel comes, you no longer have time to think. Yeah, you, have to let your, you have to let your training take over. Yep. And that's true actually for soldiers, marksmen, you name it. Yep. Once the training takes over, then you're actually doing better. Right. I find that to be incredible. Yeah. So the fact that you change that, all of a sudden, I'm lifting 165 off the ground, which I never did. Yep. So it was kind of interesting to see that happen. Yeah, and I had the same experience. And in actuality, it's crazy to think back. Um, I mean, I have at least, I, I mean, I would, it, it might not be everyone, but all of the major ones, all of my lifetime PRs are done with an elevated heart rate in some sort of a cannonball style competition, Interesting. And, um, you know, a, a workout, an EMOM, an open workout into a lift, you know, where you already pre fatigue and then you go into it and you just, you're on a time limit. You got no time to think. It's just step up and hit it. Almost all of them. Um, and, and a lot of them, like I've never come close to those numbers outside of that. Like, Never like my push press. I've never come within 25 pounds of it ever again. And it was in the middle of this. I had just rode a PR one K row, maybe five minutes before it. And then like, that was like the next thing that I went and did. And I had to lay on the ground for a while after my one K row. But, um, but yeah. And so, you know, I came across that, um, I was doing, uh, programming research one day and I came across just the simplest sentence somewhere. And it just was, uh, the, the sentence was, you know, the gist of it was basically, um, yeah, we don't lift, you know, without our heart rates up anymore. And somebody like asked it, I think it was a Facebook message. And somebody was like, what does that mean? And he goes, we never do any lifting ever unless we put, a, a, you know, a row or an echo bike or a run before it. And we do the same lifting cycles that we would normally do, whatever it would be, you know, Six five four three two one five five right. five whatever it is, it's the same lifting cycle. We just put twenty cows before it, or put four hundred meters before it. Um, I thought about that and I go, and I really like that. Like I really like it's simple, it's beautiful, and you know, I think um, you know, I think it'll be time efficient for us. I think it'll be kind of fun to see, see, see what happens. And um, I've been super happy with it. It's been fun, like you said, it's been fun to watch people let people. Uh, let their bodies just sort of take over. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I heard this time and time again, everybody said the same thing. Yeah. You just stop thinking. Yep. And it's, it, you stop thinking in the, at the heavy ones yeah. because it's round six. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. You've already lifted six, five, four, that's 15, 18, about 20 times already. Right. And so you've done five rounds of the echo bike. So by the time you get the single, you're spent. Yeah. There's only, there's only so much you can think about it. Right. So you don't. <laughs> and like, I, I'm always, I've always been a big, um, you know, when, when we used to compete, I used to warm up a ton and I used to train with a guy who was, you know, master's games, top 10 athlete. And, you know, he's at 45 plus division. And so, you know, he really had to warm up, you know, I had to warm up. He really had to warm up. And, um, and so we would go through these half hour long warm ups, And so I started just doing this. I just started writing the workouts or the thing just to be this building scheme Interesting. You know, where it was just like, okay, listen, instead of just like us 
rolling around on foam rollers and doing a couple air squats. Like let's, let's organize this. Let's force the issue a little bit and let's like, let's actually get warmed up, you know, like let's really, let's really do this. And so I started writing these um, like mashups, I guess you would say, where it was just like, Hey, I would do a, um, you know, a quick little 10 minute thing or 12 minute thing. And, um, and then other people started to train that way with us. And we saw the interesting stuff. They started to hit PRs that they hadn't hit a PR in that lift in five years or seven years. Gussie. Um, and so, you know, that was always something that's kind of stuck in my head as a programmer that I've really enjoyed is just like playing around a little bit with that. And I think some of it is warming up properly, hitting your central nervous system. You know, by the time we did the one with the front squats that I front squatted really well with and Brandon front squatted with me and he front squatted really well. And my quads were almost cramping during the first few rounds because I think it was like a six, five, four, three, two, one. And so you're doing 24 yep. C2 bike cows yep. and squatting. My quads are just so on fire. But in the back of my head, I'm sitting there going, but like, but I struggle to squat really deep and really heavy sometimes. Um, and my quads were so almost overly warm. I was thinking in my head as I was stepping up to whatever my heavy weight was, um, I was thinking in my head, I would never, ever, ever warm my quads up like this because it hurts so bad. That's I would have right. stopped, you know, 10 minutes ago. Absolutely. I would have stopped a hundred calories ago. Um, I would have never gone this heavy. And so I think sometimes it's just that, that forcing the issue. Um, and then, like you said, and at least for me, especially is like sometimes just then the, the peer pressure of, I wrote it. I got to do it. You know, I can't, I can't wimp out now. If I put it on the board for everybody else to do, I had that experience. Um, we did the, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday this week, uh, with the echo bike and the, um, the barbell. It was when you came in where Dre and I were laying on the ground. Yes. Dead. Yes. Um, and that was legitimately one of those, like I wrote it, I got to do it. So no way around it. I've been here for five years. Yeah. I do think that the workouts are more difficult than five years ago. Yeah. There's yeah. no question. I, I mean, I mean, and, and it's true that we all make them what we need to make. Right. So I can probably do more than I did five right. years ago. And that's true too. Yeah. But I think just from the perspective of the programming, I think it's more difficult. I think it's more intense. I think we're better athletes than we were five years ago. I think we're all better because of it. Um, but it's, um, it's, it's fun, but it's no joke. Yeah. I mean, you got to put your mind into it. Right. There's no question. Well, and I mean, I, it's, it's hard. I tell people, you know, I was telling somebody this the other day, you know, I think Andre right now probably would have won the games in 2011, 2012. I mean, like just his general fitness level right now where he's at. And so to think about that, he's a guy who works out four classes a week, maybe five. Doesn't do any accessory work on the side. Doesn't do anything extra. He just comes in. He's a great athlete. Works his butt off when he comes into the gym. And I honestly think that in like the 11, 12 games, like he, he probably could have won or come close to it. Right. Um, muscle ups, maybe some of those things could have gotten, couldn't, could be a little bit better, but most people's weren't back then to see the evolution of how fit you can really make people. And the, like you said, the workouts that I get to watch, you know, the people who, you know, work full-time jobs who, you know, are, are recreational athletes who like to, like I play pickup basketball on Sunday and Ray plays soccer with you and Ray plays soccer with you. And, you know, at one point 20 years ago, we're maybe elite athletes and division one athletes, but now we're all older and we work full-time jobs, but to see the workouts that they're doing 
I, I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, I don't think people understand that. Like if you're accomplishing our work, if you can go through a full week of friendship and do every workout as it's written at the weights that I recommend, you are beyond the top 1% of 1% of 1%. Like there's such a large gap between just what the normal population thinks of as a workout right. and what we do. Um, and, you know, that is really intimidating to some people for sure. Um, but I also just think that's like, it's a prescription, I guess you would say, um, you know, to, like you've said, stay young forever to, to not let yourself give into the, yeah, this is easier. It feels better. It's not quite as hard. It doesn't kill me. You know, it's all these things. It's like, yeah, but every time that you kind of make that concession, then you're just kind of one step closer to That's it. not being able to step on the soccer field or not being able to, That's it. Know, for me, play pickup basketball. And, um, you know, for me, that's super important. That's like, it. It's super important. Yeah. And I think, I don't know who said this before, but stop focusing on how you look and focus on what your body can do for you. Right. So you take the thousand step ups, box step ups. Right. Right. It's insane to even think about it. Right. But yet you had 50 people in that gym doing it. Right. You know, that's quite incredible. So I posted the video actually at Viva when we did this because I wanted to tell the story right. of what it was for. And people would write comments and are like, a thousand? Are you insane? It was only 55 minutes. I responded. And they're like, only? Yeah. Well, yeah. So it's a six mile hike. Right. What's your point? Right. But see, that's the thing. So if you, if you have a group of friends and some are younger, some are older, whatever, and they like to do certain things, do you think twice about doing it? No, you just do it because right. you can. And that's my point right. is that no matter what people will tell me, let's go do this. I can go do it. Right. So my, my boss in California is a biker. He rides, he likes to ride the bike. Do I want to go on a 50 mile run or a bike with him? No, I don't. But if he asks, I can, right. I can go to Lake Tahoe with him. I can go on a bike and I can do it. And that's really the point. Right. You know, I don't have to think twice about anything. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. I love that. I mean, and that's, I think that's, um, I guess a, a great point for us to move on to our fun stuff questions too. Cause um, I mean, I think you and I really share that goal and that vision for kind of what we're doing and why we're doing it, um, which is, um, you know, the sort of the longevity piece of it. The longevity yeah. Dude, without a question, my family lives forever. Yeah. My family lives into nineties and a hundred. So we, we have more than one people in my family who died after being a hundred years old. That's so crazy. And so I'm looking at 45, 47 more years. Yeah. I don't want to be, you know, half dead. I would like to actually walk when right. that happens. Right. For sure. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a real motivation. Functional lifespan, I think is now, I wish people use that terminology more saying it's the most important thing. Without know? a question. And functional is, is, um, you know, different for everybody, right? Like what is functional for me is like, um, I just watched the, we were talking about today, the hundred meter dash for 80 plus year olds. Yeah. I just broke the record, you know, 14.7 seconds. And we're all like, that's I fast. Think there's any way I could go and run a 14, seven right now. That's fast. And it was like, what really? I go, dude, I'm telling you like, that's moving for an 81 year old. Get out of here. Um, but that type of stuff now, I mean, obviously I love, I love watching you know, the, the Messies and the LeBrons and the, you know, John Moran or like you watch these just freak athletes, these, right. these guys who are all world all time. Um, I love watching that stuff, but like watching, you know, the guy just broke the over 80 deadlift record too, almost 700 pounds. Wow. Yeah. And you know, you, you watch that stuff that to me is I'm like, that is so much cooler. Um, Cause it's like, 
I mean, to be that, to be that fast or that yes, functional, yes. anyone, you know, that that means everything else, you know, that yes. he's probably, you know, sharp and quick witted and still able to, you know, do whatever he wants to do. That's um, it. You know, there's no way around a 14, seven and then like grabbing a walker and a cane and that's <laughs> you know, right. moving on. So there, there was a while back. And I think this is one of the times that I, that I, one of the reasons at the beginning that I started lifting with my friends at OCLC is that we, I saw this, this video, this one dude, he's 81 years old. He's in Brooklyn. And he gets uh, one of the writers from Slate to come to show him what he does. So he put him through a classic workout, a CrossFit workout. It was deadlifts, box jumps, and something else. I don't remember what it was. The, the dude died. The, yeah. this, he's 20-something years old. He couldn't do any of it. Yeah. And the deadlifts were heavy. They were probably maybe like 225 maybe. So this guy is 81 years old. And he moves like... Anybody, like yeah. anybody is in your gym today. Yeah. There was no difference. He could jump on a 20 box, on a 20 inch box. He could, I think it was lunges. I don't remember if he actually did a handstand. Um, but there was the, the mobility on him was incredible. You right. would never, ever, ever guess. Right. He's 80 years old. Yeah. That's functional right there. Right. But that, that takes training. Yeah. You can't get there without training. Right. You're no longer 20. You're a little bit older. That ability needs to be honed. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we get to see that Bob every now and again, um, you know, he'll bring in some of his students when he was at Ohio state and bring in a whole bunch of them and they're all 20 somethings and they, he would put them through workouts. And I think Bob enjoyed it because it was kind of one of those things where he's just like, you know, look, this is, they all kind of, he goes, they all kind of make fun of me because you know, I leave meetings early and they're like, where are you going? Or I come in late and, and he was like, well, I was at CrossFit and they're all like, oh, CrossFit, you know, what do you do? You lift weights. And he's like, yeah. And, 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 you know, they all sort of like, poke at him. And so he was like, all right, well, why don't you guys come? I'll set it up. That's right. We get you a private training. And so he would bring groups of 16, 20 of them and we'd pair them off and have them do a team workout. And there was maybe one or two of them that could hang with Bob. And then you talk to them, they're all like, oh yeah, no, I, I do CrossFit or, you know, I do orange theory and play, pick up whatever, um, you know, and they're, they're training, you know, they're actively working out, but then the, all the other 20 something, they're all just, like you said, just, just dead dying from not, super challenging workouts, you know, stuff that Bob would say like, Oh, that's like the lightest day that we would have in class. <laughs> and so, um, so, you know, I think I, I've seen that stuff firsthand and, you know, we do every now and again, same thing. We'll do bachelor parties or, you know, something like that. Someone will bring their family in. You know, you get all these uninitiated and then there's like the one person who sets it all up and it's like this, like, okay, like, listen, I've tailored this back. It's going to feel easy for you. Okay. <laughs> It's going to still be really hard for these guys. And people will look at it on paper and be like, not going to be hard for people, is it? And I'm like, sure. And I'm telling you, I have new people come in all the time and I put them through these movement assessments and, and they can't make it through the warmups. You know, they, they really struggle with it. Um, and I think, you know, like you've seen now for five years, like it's, I think sometimes people forget about where they came in from and how hard things were for them at first. And like you said, I, I actually think things do get harder. I mean, I would say now there are workouts where I feel more confident in them, but they still feel incredibly hard for me. But the problem is, is as you become more functional, you have no excuse not to do the workouts, you know, the, either at the prescribed weights or at the prescribed pacing or at the, with the prescribed movements. Um, and every time that you take that one step up, every time you do, you know, a full rope climb instead of a half rope climb or a full rope climb or a legless instead of a legged or, um, you know, 400 meters to have a 200 meter or whatever it is. Every time that you do that, 
you do. The workouts get harder. They get more intense. And as you continue to approach that, like we said, that full week of workouts as they're written, it can it gets harder and harder and harder and harder. Um, but that's what I love about it. You know, it's a there is no true mastery, right? Like it's just like it's just like soccer. It's just like martial arts. Like you you know you've been around great world class martial artists. You've been around black belts. Um, and you, they all realize there's almost like this, like natural, um, ego death or like humility that breeds in them because they all know that there's somebody out there who's twice as good as me. At That's this. exactly right. And That's exactly right. And so it naturally is, and they understand what that means. They understand the hours and the training mm-hmm. and the difficulty of that. So same thing. I watch these games guys now and you watch them do that first. Open. It's like, I don't think people understand how un believable what these people are doing is like, they just have, it's impossible to fathom, you know, where, where they are at compared to, it's like, you know, we were laying next to Froning and things and just his warm up casual pace is faster than we could go. And I trained, you know, my ass off for five straight years, dedicated my whole life to it. It couldn't even go as fast as his warm up pace for stuff. So, so these are exceptional people, right? Right. They're not, I don't want to say you and I, you might be an exceptional person. I just don't know it. However, we are not like these people. Right. They are exceptional, right. but, but forget about them. Look at the, look at the people in your gym. Right. They're normal people. Right. There's nothing special about them. Right. They just come there every day. Right. And every day they make that extra move. Every day they get a little bit better. Every day they spend a little bit more time on, you know, hanging on the bar or hands on or whatever. And you can see their progress. I've been with these people for five years and I, I, can, I can name a million of them and they're all better. They're all fitter. They all do more. They all run more. They all do all pull more. Right. It's, it's their ability that is kind of cool to see how oh, it progressed. Yep. Um, because there's really nothing special than just do the moves. Right. That's right. it. However, that being said, you, we don't think about what it takes to come up every day and have that program on the board. Right. Right. I have no idea what you do to do this. Sometimes I hate your guts. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I hate you more than others. But the fact is that I don't know how you come up with them, but that's what we need from you. Yeah. So we get better because that challenge is there. And, and it is challenging is every week I got injured last year and guess why? Because I didn't pay attention to, the days off. Mm. So yes, I was running more. I was, I was lifting heavier. I was lifting heavier more often. And I just never saw how I was degrading yeah. in terms of the ability to recover. Yep. And I got injured and I got injured bad and it yep. took me six months to come out of it. It was not a surgery, but nevertheless, it limited me big time. Right. And what I noticed during the time that I came back is that not being able to jump and run changed the workouts completely. Yep. They were so much easier. There was no comparison. Yep. So I don't care if you do an echo bike during that time is not the same thing. Right. And so there, there is a combination. There is, there is the right formula mm-hmm. for these things right. that somehow you come up with it. That makes sense yep. to go together. Right. And so I, I'm learning now yeah. to take the fifth day off or the fourth day off and not do anything and just kind of, you know, let, let myself um, recover from it. Right. Because those four or five days you mentioned, they're hard. Right. And, and I can't always do the prescribed, right? right? Prescribed is still a challenge for me in many cases. 
but I'm trying to get to that 55 dumbbell or I'm trying to get to the 135 barbell when it's yep. in the workout. It's not comfortable for me. I'm lighter. So yep. it's a little more difficult to do it. But that's my goal is to kind of try to move those things, even if I move them slower. Yep. But so, I'll tell you why on that too, because there is a reason behind that, right? Why you need more rest. So um, if you think about it, okay, when you first start, and this is, this is true for almost everybody unanimously. When you first start, we were working, like you said, you couldn't overhead squat a broom squat. So we were working with PVCs. We were working with mm-hmm. empty bars, 75 pounds, 65 pounds, 95 pounds. And so when you were compiling reps over a given week, you know, your, your total volume of training is, you know, reps times distance times weight. And so if you take this simple formula of, you know, let's take a front squat, for example, Good you point. were squatting as deep. You were squatting half as much weight, right? And reps were probably the same. Okay. So if you just run, you can actually run physical math on this. And they're actually That's a good point. calculator that you can take a measurement of your hip at standing and then your hip at the bottom of a squat. And like, if we would have had, I'm sure we can do it with a video, um, your hip where it used to be on a squat, your actual volume of work for every single squat that you do, if you bump the weight up by 20 pounds and you move an extra eight inches, that compounded over an entire workout makes a substantial difference in the actual work done in the workout. And so not only do the workouts actually, they, they get harder on paper because you're actually doing more work in less time. So they actually do get harder. Uh, but the total volume on your joints, on your muscles, on everything, it actually becomes more as you move better, more consistently with more weight. That's a good point. And so like, if we take, you know, let's take, uh, take, you know, Bobby, for example, when Bobby first came in, I've got a picture of him. Um, and he's doing, um, a a low bar back squat. He's not below parallel and it's with 225. And now we watch him and it's four and it was a max, right? Now we watch him, it's 450 and it's deeper. Right. Um, and so, you know, he's doing more than twice the work, right? It's, it is twice the weight, but it's also a deeper squat and more range of motion. So, and I would guess that probably his warm-up weights started above 225. So everything they did building up to compounds to more load on the system. And so then as you get better, you actually need more rest to counteract that extra work that you're putting on your body. So see knowledge theory, right? That that's important. That's the kind of stuff that, um, it's in my wheelhouse because I am curious. These are the kind of things I want to learn. And so that's the kind of stuff that I want to hear. I didn't, it didn't occur to me. It occurred to me when I got injured that there was something imbalanced in the way that I was working out every week. And it just hit me, it hit me hard. Yeah. And it creeps up on people. I mean, I've seen that same thing creep up on people where they get used to, you know, I can come six days a week. And I I tell people, I could, you you can come six days a week because you know, we're not, you're not, you're not like, for lack of a better word, you're not good enough at everything to be able to do the really heavy weights, to be able to do the, you know, like you take that, that workout on Wednesday. It's like we did 135 on the barbell. I did 24 calories on the echo bike every time I came home. I needed a nap. I needed a full rest day the next day. I was tired the whole day. I mean, it took me 36 hours easy to recover from that workout, right? Now, when I was newer, you take me when I first started, I'd barely be able to do that workout 75 pounds. I'd maybe be able to do 14 calories on the echo bike. Um, and the step up jumps you could probably, I could probably do, but like you take that and if you added it all up, I probably did half as much work. Right. And so I might be fitter now to be able to handle that. 
but it still hits you like a ton of bricks. And so I think that's the hard part for people as they, as they, the creep of getting better catches up with them that they don't necessarily pay attention to that. Yeah. And it, there, there's no doubt. And it's just, there's, there's a, there's a need there for recovery. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you mentioned naps. I don't take naps. Yeah. Right. So there were some Saturday workouts though. It was one of them was last summer. I came to the workout in the morning and it must've hit me so hard that by one I was taking a nap. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Krista comes home and she goes, why are you napping? Are you sick? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, yeah. I am tired. Right. <laughs> I was yeah. wiped apparently. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, that aside, that's joking aside, I do need, I have to pay attention to recovery. Yeah. Um, I can't, I can't allow injuries like this to compound. And last year, for whatever reason, well, I know the reason, I got injured in multiple places. Right? I, had my, I had a calf problem, I had a shoulder problem, I had this inflammation problem. So they all must have started together. Yeah. And you take, you take the pelvic inflammation, so you're probably protecting your hips somehow. So yeah. your calf doesn't want to move a certain way. So the run that I did, you know, ruined it. So it's just, it compounded. And yeah. so... That's the kind of balance that I got to pay attention. Yeah. Um, and the body is amazing. I mean, you have to love and respect it for that. It's, it gives it you this really little is. hand and it says, Hey, like, again, just give you a little pain here. Maybe you should shut it down and pay listen attention. to me. Right. And then it's like, okay, that didn't do it. That didn't slow you down <laughs> at all. Maybe I'll give you a little more pain. How about a shoulder? How about a knee? And then all of a sudden you start looking at it and you're like, damn, I'm, I'm beat up or I'm super tired. And, um, you know, the, the body is so good at getting what it wants in one way or the other, it's going to get you to rest. Right. And you can either do that proactively in a fun, healthy way where, you know, I take a day off and I sleep and I walk and I focus on that stuff and I do it proactively intelligently. Right. Or you can wait until you run yourself into the ground. And I mean, and I've, I've, I had to learn the hard way. I was kind of like you where like you did too, I, then I had to learn the hard way. Yeah. I, more than once. Unfortunately, I learned that lesson hard way three times in my life. I'm um, not exactly surprised knowing you. And you know, some of that I think was, you know, there's that, the, 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 I guess you'd say like the culture or the macho culture, macho culture when I first started was just like, yeah, you know, harder, 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 you know, and, um, and then you just start realizing that like, it's, you know, it's okay to, you know, not only okay, but it's, it's essential to everyone's going to have to rest. And I started to see people who were doing the harder, harder, harder. And it was like surgery, burnout, quitting. They don't work out anymore. Like they have a bad relationship with exercise. They're in and oh wow and you know and it's it starts to have a thing and then in my mind i'm like no i love this this is my this is my release this is my happy place this is my mental sanity like i can't without lose a doubt. this right without a so doubt. for me then it became about something totally different so um you if know, you remember the original discussion on crossfit football it was three days on one day off yep. that's how it was supposed that's, to that's, be that is the crossfit prescription so there is, there's a reason why that was there. Three days plus one, plus, plus one, you stayed home, you did something else, you did it, you rode a bike. Yep. And I, I, I find that a little short only because I don't think I lift that heavy. Mm. But there are days when, when you go for a one rep max, I don't care what it is. I don't care what weight it is. It's a one rep max. You'll feel it the next day. Oh yeah. Without a question. Yep. Yeah, there's a reason why it's a one rep max, right? <laughs> or a three rep max, funny, whatever it you is. Know, you joined after, you know, in it's early days of, of CrossFit and even CrossFit football. I'm trying to think if this was a discussion, but you remember the three on one up. This was such a huge discussion topic and early CrossFit affiliates, they did that. 
So they would be off on Thursday. They did three on oh, one really? off, two on one off. So they were closed on Thursday, closed on Sunday. Not on purpose. Option. Can't come in. Right. And it was, you follow the prescription. So that means everybody comes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then obviously that started to lax as, you know, whatever, let's say Monday doesn't work for somebody to come in and work out. And Thursday does, you know, then, then people started to relax and they started offering six and now seven and most gyms are open seven days now. Um, you know, but that I, I can very distinctly remember really? that conversation from, I think it was CrossFit Diablo in California, which is a, a great gym, one of the first affiliates in the world. And their owner's pretty hardcore. Craig Howard, I think is his name. And again, just like John, who ran CrossFit football, great writer, great blog poster, super unfiltered. Um, and and he was like, I listen, guys, I see this trend of affiliates opening seven days a week. I'm gonna tell you, every one of your in, your members is gonna get injured, they're all gonna get hurt. It's stupid, you shouldn't do it. Um, and it became this huge topic of conversation in the forums, like super early on. Um, and uh, that stuff doesn't get talked about as much anymore. Obviously the sport has evolved and things have evolved in such a way. Um, but there's a lot of those things that were in place for really for lack of better, for what's best for people. Um, but you know, then I think the other argument is probably also that like, well, it is also what's best for people to have more of an open schedule to have people who are full-time professionals and have other, you know, work, life, family, all those things they need more flexibility schedule wise than, than being closed for an entire day. So, um, so it's funny because I remember that, that discussion being front and center in the cross world in the very, very early days. Interesting. So as I learned more about it, you know, years ago, there was always this discussion and everybody complained about how CrossFit is just not good for you. Yeah. All these things we do injure people. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been doing these moves, these skills for, more than five years, but obviously let's just say the five years that I'm doing it with you. It's not a question of the sport. The sport is not the problem. The right. people are the problem. Right. Right. <laughs> They're doing something wrong. Right. They're doing something too much. They're doing something not enough. They're not flexible enough. They're not, they're trying too many weights, you know, too soon, whatever it is, there is not, there's not enough flexibility in their shoulders. It's not the sport. It's right. the people. Right. And so I don't, I don't, I have an argument that I, that I have with, you know, people that, that talk to me about CrossFit and I tell them the same thing. You get injured walking down the street. So what's your point? Right. Right. So to me, it's, it, it, it's clear that it's not the sport. It yeah. is how you interpret it. Right. And from my own experience, I got injured because I was stupid. Mm. Not because you didn't tell me, not because Andy didn't tell me. They did tell me, you did tell me that I'm coming too often and I never paid attention. I thought that I can do it. And so it was just a combination of everything was simply too much. Right. And I discovered that by myself the hard way. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's because I was dumb. It's right. because I didn't pay attention. So yeah. now, and I, I mean, I, I would completely agree with that. It's the, it's interesting to me to see why people took to that or how they took to it. Because if I tell you I'm a marathon runner, that's not the first thing that comes up. Now, if you tell me you're a marathon runner in my mind as a trained coach and somebody who's done this as a profession, that is what I think about because the injury rates for marathon runners oh, are almost hundred percent. I completely agree. Right. And so if like, you need to run that long, take a damn car. <laughs> well, right. So <laughs> it's so like that, you know, but to the world, the like open world, just people, um, you know, let's call them untrained people who don't know, right. Who are you, you say CrossFit, they're like, Oh, well I heard that gets you hurt. Um, you know, they, if you tell them 
uh, talk about marathon running or you play soccer, that's not where they go right away. Right. You know, the injury rates in soccer and in, um, you know, just as bad, way higher, right. I would even say. Um, and, but like you said, at the end of the day, the, the main difference for me is in soccer. A lot of times, like if you get hurt playing soccer, 90% of the times you couldn't avoid it. You were cutting, it was contact, it was jumping. It wasn't like something that was expected for lack of a better way to put it. Whereas I will say that most, if not all of our injuries in some capacity, um, that, that I've seen are expected in some Mm -hmm. at a higher percentage. I can see somebody doing something stupid, lifting something they shouldn't, they didn't warm up properly. They're doing a movement that they shouldn't be doing. You know, you, the, you think of the famous one from CrossFit is Julie Fouché tearing her Achilles. She's doing rebounding box jumps. You tear your Achilles when you're doing rebounding box jumps. Everybody knows that. Really? Which is why nobody, we don't allow that. them in our gym. And it's common knowledge that people, for the most part, stop doing them. So the CrossFit regulated that you're not allowed to do it anymore. But okay. like before they regulated the step down, CrossFit universally in competition was all rebounding. Um, so I did a, a, you know, there was a big competition. It was regionals in I don't know, two, two or three years before Julie Fouché and we had, it was three, 21, 15, nine, three, 15 box jump. There's three, 15 deadlifts, 30 inch box jumps. Oof. Okay. And first of all, horrible, horrible, horrible workout. Um, well, so you can kidding. imagine what that does to your lower back and your hamstrings when yep. you go jump. And oh, these guys are all rebounding, rebounding that box jump. And so I don't know off the top of my head. I don't, I can remember one injury. I don't know if it was a torn Achilles, um, but you know, Julie was the game's favorite that year and she tore her Achilles in front of everybody in, in, you know, a major event. Um, and that was one of those things where, and then, um, and then uh, there was another one, Jenny and I were talking to, they released the event. It was a bunch of high repetition ring dips in an event. And Jenny and I both looked at each other and we were like, all these guys are going to tear their pecs and biceps. Ooh. All these guys are. And there were multiple of them. There was more than one. Right. And you just watched them in the event. Just, you just saw, you saw these top athletes and you'd watch them. The camera goes on them and they go to push and then they, they go down and you watch the injury. And immediately you just know, Jenny and I go, he tore his bicep, tore his, tore his pec. You know, right away. And so like, you can see these things coming and some, those are specific ones of like just bad programming in my opinion. But, um, but you know, it's the same thing where I can program a clean for you. Right. And you know, at one fifteen, there's very little chance that you're going to get injured on that weight at one sixty five, chance maybe goes up a little bit, but you're still probably pretty safe at one eighty five. It's a high, a high risk at 200. It's almost a certainty. Right. And so like, that that risk level goes up, right? As you start getting into those higher weights, the window to get your elbows through and not bash your elbow That's down, it. break your wrist, those windows become tighter and smaller as the weights start to increase. And everybody knows that. And so you can always stay on the safe side of that or you can journey onto the dangerous side of that. Um, and just doing so. And for me, that's my job as a programmer is to make sure that you only wander on that dangerous side on the appropriate interval with prepared movements and all these things. Um, but I think that's the thing, like you've said, it's the people, right? A lot of times is you're the one in control of that. So, and coaches can come in and help a little bit here and there. Um, you know, obviously well, of course, I of can course. look at you and just be like, don't do that. It's not a safe way. Don't exactly. do that. Right. Um, and, and that's really the expectation. That's right. what you've, that's what you've done. You right. told people, you know, don't do, do this, do that instead. 
it's it's why we come here. But but there's another. You really um, made me think of something else. There is this level of competition in the gym, and I learned from day one that you don't compete with anybody. You simply do not compete with anybody. I think it's the first thing that I told Milt mm-hmm. is whatever the hell you do, do not compete with anybody because you'll get injured. Yep. I don't care if it's a female. I don't care if it's a guy. I don't care if they're younger or older. Do not compete with them. You don't know their story. Yep. You're going to try to do something because you think you're better and you're going to get injured. Yep. Um, and unfortunately, that's really what's happening in many of these gyms is that they compete. Mm-hmm. They start competing in, in a way that they're not used to. Right. And so you pick up that 185 too soon. You yep. pick up a, a weight that's just not safe for you. Um, you try to do too many pull-ups at once, knowing that your shoulders can't take it. Those things are all in your control. Right. And so, you know, Maria was doing the runs with me yesterday and I really couldn't stay with her, but then she was doing pull-ups. I still have a problem with my shoulder, yep. right? Should I compete with her when she f- looks like a butterfly? No, of course not. I, it'd be stupid to do it. Right. So. But, but to me, this is pervasive in the, in the community because people do want to compete, especially the younger guys and they get injured. It just is, you know? So like I said, I told Milt this from day one, do not compete with anybody. Just figure out when you can't compete with them. But in the meantime, just don't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just a good rule of thumb, like first year. And I like, if I say one thing as a coach more than I say anything else throughout the whole week, it's make sure you get your own weights set your own weights, get your own weights. Like I'm always talking to people in build it's Hey, you're not lifting with Dre. Mm-hmm. Dre and you are going to lift the same barbell on the same rack, but you are going to set up your weights and he is going to set up his weights. And I've given you plenty of time. And you know what? If you feel like there's not enough time, just take more time to ensure that you have the right weight on the bar. And I just, I, I say it till I'm blue in the face and it's still, you know, as much as you say it as a coach, it still is a recommendation that's only taken maybe 50% of the time. Um, and you know, so I come home and I vent to Maria. I'm like, I'm like, how do we, we got it. Our culture has got to be better. How do we get better? We've got to build this in more. We got all these things. And like, I'm always just like, we got to do better. We got to do better. But, um, like you've said, it's a little bit of, it's just a little bit of human nature. You know, it's, um, I think deep down inside of us, you know, there's always that, like that little bit of, of wanting to, wanting to weigh and measure, you know? Well, yes, it's the community that finds this attractive. Right. You, we talked about earlier, it is not for everybody. Right. It is for many, but those who choose this to spend the money, to listen to your training, they're curious, they're interesting. They're also a little bit competitive. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how you make progress. You want to do better at least then more what you did last week or the year before. And so you kind of compete with yourself, but you also compete with those that you're that are around you. Right. And just a little bit, just a little bit in your mind, right. you can see that, that other one, that other person doing just one more box jump, yeah. one more step up, one more rep than you can. And so you start trying to push a little bit harder and there's really nothing wrong with it. Like right. what Sam did today, he said, yeah. let's stay with this. So he forced me to do, the, the, the thrusters unbroken, which I didn't want to do, but yeah. I did them anyhow, but it wasn't unsafe. Right. Right. It wasn't wrong. Yep. It wasn't something that I couldn't handle. I just didn't want to handle it. Well, and you're five years in, you know that now, like, I think that's the thing that's kind of key is like you said to mill is, you know, it, you'll be able to pick and choose your spots with time, right? Like once you, once right. you start to learn exactly more and, you know, martial arts, I, you know, I, when I was young in the army and I started to go to a mixed martial arts gym, 
you, that first year I was lucky because I, my training partner was my sergeant. He was in charge of me, but in the military, but also when I went there, like he was a very practiced. And so I would, I would work exclusively with him. I only went with him. And so he was protective in that way of just like, like, no, you, you get no opportunity to train with anybody else because you don't know anybody else. Right. And all that's going to happen is if, if you don't come with me, you're going to get paired up with somebody and you're going to start to think like, oh, this guy's half the size of Dom. Like I've been training with Dom. Dom's better than this guy. I'm going to be able to, t-. and all that stuff. You go through all those things in your head and he goes, and then you're just going to get your ass kicked and you're going to get it. hurt and you're going to get, it. you know? And so, um, so I got protected by that. But then once you, once you get a year or two in, you start to be able to just say, you know, that guy's really impressive. I'm not at that level yet. Um, and I'm going to let him train over there and I'm going to be over here working on my stuff. And you sort of gain the ability to be able to see those things sort of with clear eyes, I think. And so just like you saw today, there's no, my, my, you know, risk doesn't go, go up meaningfully here. My reward does, you know, I'm going to get a better workout and I can do it. So I'm going to allow myself to push that's past it. this little bit of that's effort. It. So, um, so that's really cool. I love it. Let's jump into the fun stuff and then, uh, and then you got to get going. Ask away. What time we got? Do you have to go now? I have half an hour. Oh, okay, cool. Um, all right. So fun stuff. Um, all right. So we we're just, it's just unlimited now. Milt made it unlimited basically, or whoever said they were going to fly to Paris um, for it. Um, where are you going? If you have to get one meal, where are you going and what are you getting? What are you ordering? Unlimited cash. I'm just going to hand you right now. I'm just going to give you two grand. Where are you going? What are you ordering? Oh, you're going to laugh at me. One of my favorite spots anywhere is this place called the Boathouse in Orlando. Okay. It's in Disney Springs. It's one of the best restaurants anywhere I've been in the world. You were just down there. Right? I was just there. And guess what? We went there two days, twice <laughs> last week. I love it. And that's going to be a good one too, because a lot of people go to Orlando. It's a beautiful place. So it, gonna... It's on the dock, on the water. The, the service is fantastic. The food is awesome. I love that place. I love it. That's great. That's a good one. And I like tangible ones. These, uh, these indiscriminate, like, oh, I'd go to Paris and order... Come on, give me real places. So Dre's one up on all you guys there. Um, all right. Movie TV show. Are you a movie TV show guy? I don't really watch a lot of movies. Okay. I watch TV shows. Okay. Yes. Uh, favorite TV show of all time. It has to be Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Nice. I, I was gonna, so um, our TV bit the dust the other day, our main TV out there. And so I had one right here that I pulled down and like yanked off the wall and put it out there um, mainly for, you know, Stevie and the family. But um, so before you came, I go, Oh, I got to There's a huge hole behind that. <laughs> I go, I got to, I got to patch the hole, right. I got to go put something over it. And so I'll show you what I was going to, um, I've got a, a pretty sweet, um, Seinfeld thing. That was a, that was a gift from Grant, uh, that I'll show you before we take off that I was going to, that was going to be what I was going to hang here. Um, so I think we're undefeated. So maybe I'm just now only. Um, welcoming Seinfeld fans onto the, there onto you the go. <laughs> that's what, that's what you're doing. It. All right. Favorite dessert. Flan. Flan. All right. Now walk me through. Um, I feel like we got flan. Now I'm, I've gotten flan one time, but I, if you were to tell me right now, like what is like, if you were to say, Jeff defined flan, I have no clue what it is. So Americans have custard, okay, but that's not it because custard has, um, a, a hard shell that's essentially burnt sugar. Yeah. Um, that's not it. Okay. Flan is a, you get it in Mexico. My grandma makes it too. It's a, it's a, it's a, essentially a mixture of eggs and okay. a little bit of milk. Okay. But what you do is you burn sugar on, on at the bottom of a pan 
And so it becomes this liquid, this brown liquid. Okay. So then you pour what's essentially a yellow mix yeah. of eggs over it. So then when it bakes, it creates this, it's, it's not gelatin, it's not jello, but it's, it's very smooth. Okay. So then when, you, when you're done cooking and you turn it, it has this very dark rim at the top and that's the sugar. Okay. But it's essentially eggs. You take a fork into it, it. And, and you get that like sweet on the top. Oh, it's sweet and it has eggs in it and it's just fantastic. Okay. Do you have anywhere here locally that you would order it? That no. The only place that- Homemade we f- only. Uh, so I don't know how to make it. Okay. Uh, I found the recipe, but there's this place in Disney that has it. Um, do you know who Jose Andres is? Mm-hmm. The chef, mm-hmm. the Spanish chef, the guy who does a world kitchen. The, it's the guy who goes everywhere and feeds people in disaster areas. Okay. Oh, I do. Yeah. I do. That's Jose yeah, Andres, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Spanish guy. Yep. He has a restaurant called Haleo. Yep. It's a three star Michelin. It's an incredible experience. One of their desserts is this flan and it was out of this world, okay. nice. out of this world. I'm not sure that I've ever had anything as good as that. Man. Making me want to go. We're going down to Florida here soon, but not Orlando. Drive to Orlando, go to Haleo. We're actually not far. We're Sarasota. So you could. It's only like an hour and a half, I think. There you go. Um, So favorite vacation destination? It's Australia. Okay. Without a question. It's my favorite place to go. I'm going there in about five months. We're going for the Women's World Cup. Oh, wow. Nice. We're going to fly to Melbourne, go to Tasmania, go to Sydney. It's my third trip there. That's awesome. I love that place. That'd be fun. Women's World Cup. That's awesome. Um, that's a cool, that's a cool trip. Uh, yeah, that's like really high on my bucket list. Um, Grant's a big New Zealand guy. Um, I'd love to do that all in like one trip. I feel like you need like at least three weeks to do both. So the first time we went, I went for a conference. Um, so we went for about 11 days. But the second time it was in 2011 and we were going for 28 days. Jeez. So we flew to Sydney, we went north to Keynes and saw the Great Barrier Reef yeah. and uh, that really old uh, forest up there. Then we flew to the Rock. So we saw Uluru and that whole area. We flew to Melbourne, stayed in Melbourne for a few days, came back to Sydney. So it was a long trip. It was, like I said, it was about 27 days total. That's awesome. That's really cool. So this is only about 16. Yeah, but know the country well. So how will that work? Will you do like games and then travel a little bit games and then travel or the games spread out throughout the country or how's that? Well, so unluckily, if that's a word, (laughs) us got drawn in New Zealand. Oh, okay. I didn't know that when we booked the trip. So we want to, I have friends, we have friends in Australia. We're going to meet them in Melbourne and they wanted to see Australia play. Well, guess what? There were no tickets. We simply could not get tickets. So we're going to watch, we're going to fly to Melbourne and watch Germany play Morocco okay. just because it's a game that we can watch. Yeah. And then we're basically spending every day in a different place. We're going to drive around nice. on the Southern coast, drive, take a boat to Tasmania, drive in Tasmania, come back mainland and then drive back one day at a time nice. back to Sydney. So we're going to be gone for about 14 days. And yeah. then we spend two days in Sydney. If U.S. wins their group, they will play the first round of 16 in Sydney. Okay. So we have tickets for that game. And they probably should. I mean. You would think. Yeah, they should. You would think. Yeah. So at least I'm, I may be able to see them okay. in Sydney on August 6th. Nice. Cool. You got some good travel coming up. Um, that's what I do. Yeah. Um, awesome. we've We've been everywhere. Yeah. That's so cool. I love it. Um, and we already covered that one. Where do you want to go that you've never been? I guess you're coming up on Berlin. 
But what's that's up? the big one. Okay. So next next spring, uh, next uh, next June is the um, the European tournament, the European Championships. Um, is going to be held in Germany. Yeah. So we're going to, I'm going to try to see, again, we have family in, uh, I have family in Berlin. So we're going to go see them and then watch a couple of games there. Yeah. Never been to Berlin. That yeah. would be the first time. But aside from that, um, there's two places that I have never seen and that is Scandinavia. Yeah. So I've never been to Norway, Sweden, Denmark, any of those. Yeah. And I've never been to Spain or Portugal. Okay. Wow. So that those are the two areas that I still need to get to. So you got to talk to Justin. Have you talked to him? I did. Yeah, I did. And between him and one of my cousins goes to Sevilla every every year. Yeah, I we need to go. Yeah. I need to go down there. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's it's it just seems when I think of sort of uh, a lot of Europe in my head, that sort of romantic beach, you know, very classic village, like uh, some of the pictures and some of the stuff, the way they described it, I was just like, that just sounds amazing. It is beautiful. Yeah. Um, And I would love to, I mean, Scandinavia would be amazing too. Um, I feel like the, the, those countries are so much bigger than people think. I think it's hard to know like where to go and what to do. Um, But um, nice. I like it. That should be doable, I think. I have a trip in May going. I'm going to Liverpool. And this is a shout out to all those people who are listening to this who think they're soccer fans or football (laughs) fans. Because I don't care what team you root for. The best one is the Liverpool Football Club. All right. And I I know for a fact that Andre right now is going to cringe. (laughs) Is he a what? A Chelsea guy? Arsenal. Arsenal, okay. Um, I'm going to go watch a game at Anfield. It is the best stadium in the world, hands down. Um, it's a place where you cannot obtain tickets except for, you know, special um, arrangements. They call them experiences. Yeah. Um, they're really expensive. They haven't had an open seat for a hundred years, yeah. basically. Um, so on May 20th, I'm going to go watch their last game of the season. Man. I'm really excited about that. That's insane. I wish that I picked the season when they were better. Yeah. But it's good enough. I'm yeah. good. Yeah. Well, I just feel like it just knowing the environment in those stadiums and just the energy and, and listening to the, if you've never listened, take in the whole experience. If you've never listened to a recording of you never walk alone that sang in the stadium, you need to do it because they will have, it will give you goosebumps. I love that type of stuff. It's awesome. I love that type of stuff. Um, That's sweet. I wonder like, there's gotta be something out there. You know, I, I tell, try to tell people this all the time when it comes to like a Buckeye football game. Cause it's like, okay, you're taking, if somebody's coming in town, mm-hmm. you're taking somebody to their first like Buckeye game. I think there's a, a way to do the experience that, that I would recommend. Right. Um, and it, it's not that you can't, it's not that like the game's going to suck and all these things. If you don't do that, I just think it's, you know, when, when people kind of say it, you know, it's like, okay, you can go and, you know, you want to get some tailgate time. You want to get this goal session you want to do this. You want to make sure you're in the stadium about at least 30, 40 minutes before. Um, and, and be there for all of script Ohio and be there for like the whole right. game and stick around for Carmen, Ohio. After you know, I've never done this yet. Really? I need to do it. And I just think that's one of those things where like, um, you know, I'm sure that Liverpool has the exact, like there's, there's a way there's a, Oh, totally. Pub. There's a, there's a walk. Yes. There's a way to yes. get to the stadium. Yes. You know, there's a whole experience that you yes. want to do it the right way. That's it. So that's awesome. I can't wait. Very cool. Dre, thanks so much for your time today, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being on. I know people are going to love this episode. So. Thanks for having me. This yeah. uh, I've always been a bit envious of all those cool people that came to your house. <laughs> so yes, this was fantastic. Thank I you. I really it. appreciate yeah. you asking me here. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. And we'll wrap it up there.